place to request you again here at the Grange. Uh, I was very tempted this morning to call you the Glam. Uh, for the benefit of you don't know what the Glam is, it's a wee Baptist church just outside Money Moor. And I did a two week mission there just a couple of weeks ago. And whenever I was initially saying the Grange this morning, I had to think twice. There's a slight delay, and I was thinking, did I, did I say it was at the Glen or was at the Grange? So you'll have to forgive me. But we're turning tonight in, our, in the scriptures to the, the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 9. And uh, we're going to read a few verses together, please. 1 Corinthians, in chapter 9. And let's read from verse 16. Uh, we, you and I all know, well, we, if we don't know, we, uh, if we're here this evening to just make it simple and clear this evening the way the gospel is so important, not only for, uh, it's vital for us as the people of God because it's through this gospel we came to save in faith in Christ Jesus, but it's also vital for those who don't know Christ because it's the gospel says the power of God, said Paul in Romans 1, he said that it's the power of God on the salvation to everyone that believeth. And so he saw the vital, the crucial the element to the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. But the scripture says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 9, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is led upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I do it against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. For what, what is the reward, my reward then, verily, that... When I preach the gospel, I may, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant of the wall, that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, uh, that I may gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as, as, a, as are under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law, to them that are with, without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law up to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Uh, we're going to end a reading there and we trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's just have a short prayer together before we just spend a few moments this evening around his precious truth. Father, we thank you this evening for this opportunity to be here on this Sunday evening to sing these great old hymns that do very much focus our attention upon the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. We thank thee, Lord, tonight for the fact that, Lord, even as we were reminded of how there was love that lifted us, when we were sinking deep in sin, it was love that lifted us. And, Father, we're glad tonight to know that that love was wonderfully demonstrated at the cross called Calvary. And even this morning, as we spent a few minutes around your table, remembering your death, remembering the fact that you bore our sins in your own body on the tree, we are mindful today that this was because that you loved the world. And today, tonight, as we just sell our hearts before you, we pray even for all who gathered in tonight under the sound of your word. We ask tonight that you would be pleased to use your word as a means to speak into hearts and lives. And if there is any, Lord, that has yet have not put their trust in you, that even tonight would be the night when they take that simple step of faith and call upon the name of the Lord. And we thank that the scripture says that whosoever shall call, Upon the name of the Lord they shall be seen. 
So Father, we are grateful tonight for this privilege of studying our hearts before Thee and committing ourselves to Thee as we ask these things in Jesus' most precious and worthy name. Amen. I don't know what you think whenever you consider the Gospel or how vital and crucial you see it as, but as I already intimated at the very outset, I am convinced that for the Apostle Paul, as he wrote many of, much of the writings of the New Testament, he saw that the Gospel was crucially important. In fact, as we already quoted in Romans 1, 16, when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation everyone believes. Why is the Gospel so important to humanity today? I'll tell you three very quick and simple reasons. Number one, it's important because of because through this gospel is presented to us what through the gospel what is presented is the fact that Christ what Christ has done for us and what it does do it gives us a moment or two just to look backward and sometimes we do need to look backward. In fact, although the scripture exhorts us as the people of God to keep our eyes fixed forward, those of us who are the children of God, for those of you tonight who maybe sit in our meeting or maybe children online, the reality is that we are exhorted at times to look backward, to look to the fact that there was a man, that this man, Christ Jesus, who knew no sin was without sin, yet the Bible says he became sin for us. This man goes to the cross. This man dies in our place, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. The Bible tells us the just for the unjust that he may bring us unto God. This man is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this man is the man by whom why Paul would preach the gospel because he would get his attention off himself and get himself on the only one who could redeem and save man from their lost estate. And this evening, as you sit in the, in, in the Grange, and as you consider the simple truth of the gospel, I want to ask you the question, have you ever taken time to look at this man? This man of whom Pilate said in John, John 13 and John 18, when he said, Behold, uh, behold, I, I said, behold the man, this man he speaks about, this man who was like John the Baptist described him as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was the same man who stood and said to the disciples, uh, I am the door by me of any man ever in. He was the same man who said, I am the light of the word. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is the same man who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life to the sheep. Things that everyday people, everyday things that people of Jesus' day could identify with, whether it was doors or lights or, or sheepfolds or rather, is that they could all identify in Jesus' day why they were so crucial, vitally important. You and I know why it's very important to have a door. It's literally for, in many reasons, it's there for a sense of security. We have, it, we have them in our homes, and the last thing we will do whenever we go to bed the night before we, uh, before we, well, before we turn the lights off is we'll most likely go and we'll check the front door and the back door or any other door that might have us sleeping us outside. We'll make sure the door is locked because whenever we lay our head up on the pallet, we don't want somebody joining and coming into our house when we're asleep. We want to sense that sense of security. The wonderful thing is, folks, whenever you come through the door of Christ, there's this sense of security because when you're in Christ, the Bible says there's no therefore no condemnation. It reminds us whenever you go right back in the Old Testament, whenever God asked Noah to build an ark, and on that ark there was only one door. There weren't umpteen doors into the door, into the ark, there was just one. And there came a day when that door was shut. It was shut not by no, but was shut by the hand of God. All those who were inside the ark were safe. Where were they safe? What were they safe from? They were safe from what was going to come when there was the wrath of God. The judgment of God that was going to be poured out upon the word. We know that for a fact. And for 120 years this man would preach righteousness. 
And day after day after day after day, 365 days a year, you multiply that by 120. You realize how long this man labored in the gospel. And yet sadly, all he saw was converted or saved was his wife and his children and their wives. They were the only ones who entered into the ark. Was there room for others? I'm convinced there was room for others. Is there room for you today, not into that ark, but into the greatest ark of all, into a far more important ark, because those who were in the ark were saved, and the reality in the New Testament, those who are in Christ Jesus are saved. But they must come through the door. There was no other way into the ark. Couldn't climb through the window. He couldn't climb it up through, climb over the wall and try and make a way into that way. There was only one way in, and one way out. And it was through the door. And so whenever Jesus would stand before the people of his day and say, I am the door by me of any man on earth, he was making it very clear to people as they knew that there's only one door in. I tell you what else is important about doors. It is two sides. It is an inside and outside. And you can't be on both sides at once. You can either only be on the inside or the outside. But you can't stand on both sides. You know that it's not practically possible. You're an inside of a house, you're outside of a house. You're either standing at the world from the inside looking out or from the outside looking in. That's the reality. The question is tonight, which side of the door are you on? Jesus, I remember one, I went to the wee, well I went to the wee, grew up in the Congregational Church in Money Moor, although I go to the Baptist in Tubbermore. So I grew up in Money Moor, now I live in Tubbermore and I'm moving, I'm going to move somewhere else but there has to be a moor in its name. And we're never happy, sure not. We're always looking more. We're never content. More of this and more of that and more of something else. But the reality is, folks, whenever I grew up in Money More, we had this church at half of that one, Sunday school at half two, and the wee Money More congregation, and then out of the door of Money More, and then straight down to the Gospel Hall at half past three. We sat in Sunday school there. So for two hours every week, two hours we had Sunday school on a, on a Sunday every week. In that we thus the whole Sunday school, we sang a little chorus and it went something as one door and only one and yet it says or two. I'm on the inside, but on which side are you? And for years I sang that song, I really wasn't sure which side of the door I was on. I professed as a child, but sadly, uh, even though I professed as a young a young boy of six, seven years of age, I would have to say my maybe my, my, my the biggest hindrance that I had was the fact that I didn't really spend time in prayer. I didn't really spend time in reading God's Word. I didn't spend time in, in, in what is important to nurture, to, to feed as newborn babes as I listen to him of the Word. But I am convinced that the Lord did save me as a child, but for years I just sort of drifted through, drifted through until God took a hold of me. But I want to tell you folks, there were many times in my life whenever I was challenged uh, even in those backslidden years, I'm going to call them backslidden years, when I knew I was far from God, but God was extremely merciful to me. I'm going to tell you something, folks, hey, we are here because of the mercy of God. I finished the gospel mission this night two weeks ago. On the Monday night previous, a man sat in the meeting, in fact, right down the very back of the meeting, and said, we need this called the Lizzy Baptist. And uh, the following Monday night, he sat in the meeting, he planned to come back on the Thursday night at 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon took a massive heart attack. And one week exactly from the day he sat in the back of my heart meetings at the Glen, uh, I got the news that he turned the ventilator machine off when he was in eternity. Was he a Christian? And I don't know. I hope he was. I hope somewhere along the journey he sought the Lord. But what I do know 
is that within one week from sitting in a gospel meeting, he was the eternal day. None of us, my dear friend, not one of us went to me, not one of us know. Another man was a farmer who came to those meetings. I just got a text this afternoon to say that just on Friday past, he was mixing slurry. In the slurry tank, and he was overcome with fumes, and he collapsed. And he was rushed to hospital, and thankfully, thankfully, God was merciful because they worked with him for a number of hours, and he got back home again just yesterday. How quickly, folks, our lives can be taken from us. And yet we need to be ready. Why is this gospel so important? Because it reminds us, as we look back at what Christ has done for us, he has bore our sins, he has taken our judgment, so we don't need to be judged, that we don't need to be condemned, that we don't need to be cut off from him, but that we can be accepted in the beloved. So that we can have a home in heaven, so we can be certain that no matter what happens in this life, that there's always ready for the next life. Because when he goes, when he went to the cross, here was one who was just, who was pure, who was sinless, who was perfect, which sets him out completely different from every one of us, from the very youngest to the very oldest this evening, as we sit in this meeting house tonight. Because every one of us has sinned, that's what the Bible is very clear. But even if we didn't have the scriptures, we, we would know that, we would know what wrong is, we would know what sin is. This bias, bias is this tendency to always go our own way, do our own thing, make our own choices, make mistakes, say words we regret we said, think thoughts we regret we thought, and do deeds we, we regret we did. What, what is the reason of this? Because of the nature of our heart. And this was, was that's the reason why Christ came, to take our sins, that which we know is filth and dirt, and, the, and that which is disgusting about us, that which is rotten at the very core of our innermost being. He bears our sins now. He bears our guilt. He bears our shame. The Bible says, When they are at the cross, when he cries out the words, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthana, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, then it's very simple, my dear friend. The, very be- the best way I can try and illustrate to you why he was forsaken is if you go home tonight and you walk into your bathroom and you look into what's called a mirror and you take a hard, long look. And what you see within that mirror that face and that person that you see reflected back in that mirror is why he was crucified. Why he died. Because he died for you. That is the gospel this evening. I'm going to say a second, that's just as we think of this gospel, it's vital because it reminds of what he's done for us. But I'm going to say it's vital because of what he, the Lord Jesus, can do in us. Because he can change us. He can redeem us. He can put us on a new road. The Bible tells us very clearly tells us that we were all born on the road of destruction. It's called the broad road. Well, that's just the road that we're on. That's we we didn't do anything to be on that road. That was just because of the because of by us by one man's son sin, one man said sin under the word and death by sin and so death passed from all men for all of sin. We're all born on that spiritual broad road. We mentioned this morning that there are only two classes of people. Well, not only there are only two classes of people, those who are saved and those who are not saved, but there's only two roads, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to life and light. And you can't be in both roads at the same time. You can only be in one road or the other. Every one of us are born on the broad way, and the only way we can get onto the narrow way is through confession of sin, repentance of sin, and calling upon Christ. And if we are not willing to do these things, repent of our sin and call upon Christ, you may say, but what, but what have I got to confess? Because 
I remember I worked with a man, a fellow Paul Atchison, I remember he did a mission away over in Scotland during my days in the faith mission. I remember he said to me, he wrapped the door one day, he said to me, I want to invite you to some meetings we're doing here in the town. We place just outside shots between Edinburgh and Glasgow. And this lady says, and what's these meetings all about? Well, we're there to share the gospel that men are sinners and they need salvation. She said, don't you come to my house and tell me I'm a sinner. I haven't sinned. The reality is, good people, someone, you may deny it, you may reject this biblical truth, but that does not change the fact that the Word of God is infallible and indestructible. His Word teaches us very clearly that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Born on this broad road, and this broad road is leading in one direction. And my dear friend, I want to be very clear tonight. If you're here this evening and you're not saved, you're headed in one direction and in one direction only. Do not be deceived into thinking that because you attend the Grange or that you, dare I say, read your Bible or share your prayers, that that's sufficient to get you to end, into heaven. I can take you this evening to a nursing home in Markerfeld where I had the privilege of spending time with a dear man. I'll call him Joseph just for the sake of namesake. On many times sat in his home, his wife one time went to come to what was called a revival prayer meeting. Have you ever heard of a revival prayer meeting? This was a revival prayer meeting. She said, the state of the company is terrible. She was brought up in Church of Ireland circles. She said, the state of the company is terrible. I'm going to go along to this revival prayer meeting. And instantly she said, what would you think to your revival prayer meeting and you're not even a Christian? This was somebody that was not saved now. Talking to his own same wife and saying, What would take you to revival prayer meeting? Even though she was greatly concerned with the decay of humanity, the decay of the laws that were passing. And I sat with someone many occasions and I talked to him and I said, I'm just going to call him Joseph. And I said, Joseph, you know you, know you need to get, become a Christian. You know you need to see it. I know, I know. He says, Nigel, there's not a night, can I tell you? There's, he said, Nigel, there's not a night that I don't go to prayer. Before I go to bread bed, I get down on my knees and I say my prayers and I read my Bible. There hasn't been one night in my life when I haven't done that. I'm not a Christian. If I take you to him tonight, he's sitting in a nursing home and he's got what's called a mansion. And I walked into an hour day and it just broke my heart. I said, no way of communicating. I don't even know if he fully understood me. I just broke my heart. No way I broke my heart. Tell you why I broke my heart. Because a kinder soul you will not meet. A more generous, spirited man you will not find in this world. The thing that breaks my heart is that Joseph has not come to faith in Christ, put his trust in Christ. Before this terrible disease has caught him, and it has caught him, he has no way of understanding the truth, but for the grace of mercy of God. And yet, and, you know, it's lovely to see young people and say, you think, I have plenty of time. You do not know you have plenty of time. I stood in Cookstown Main Street years ago with a mate of mine, uh, we used to just drive the towns on Sunday afternoons. We drove from Cookstown to Markerfeld to Markerfeld to Cookstown to drive around the car parks and drive the next town to drive around the Stone Street and then drive back again. Some of the daftest things you did when you were younger, but anyway, his name, this young man's name was Adrian, Adrian Mitchell. 
He was born in a mixed marriage. His mother was a Catholic, his father was a Protestant. But yet that didn't make any difference to us because he was our friend. The next day he was working for, then it was Lisey's yard just down outside Markerfeld and he was telling us how he was going to say this industrial cement mixture to clean it out, to check it out, uh, because it was every so often it had to be done. His care friend was called Living. I think she was from Colainway or in that part of the company. He part of the company, he was mad driver. Uh, he drove a, a Vauxhall, a Vauxhall uh, Cavalier SRA. And for any of you boys that are my age and over, you'll know what a Cavalier SRA was. Like that was a bee's knees if you were like 18 years of age, like you, you sort of had a, had a peak in your life. Uh, but uh, dare I say, I got next 6 o'clock the next night, this young man who was just about, I was roughly about 18, he was maybe 19 or so, and uh, next night I got a phone, a knock on the door, and another friend landed and said, John, John came, and he said, and he, you know, I looked look at his face sort of like baffled me, and he says, John, Adrian's dead. So what do you mean he's dead? He said, he was inside the mixture today, and we don't know what happened, whether he said to turn it off, and the man turned it on, or whatever happened, but... They rushed him to Markerfeld Hospital and on the way to the hospital, he passed away. She said to me, what's the importance of this gospel? I'll tell you what's important in this gospel. Young or old, not one of us know what age we're going to go on. Not one of us. Well over my half of my life, and in fact I would say, I would, I'm, I'm not a hundred, I can't be 100% certain, but I would be pretty sure to say nearly two-thirds of my life is gone. Two-thirds of my life. I sat where many young people, not literally the same seats as you sat, but the same age group many young people are tonight, that are younger than most of us older ones. And we looked in front of us and thought, oh, sure, why are we have loads of time? Loads of time. The Bible says, Boast not thyself tomorrow, for no man knows. No man knows what a day may bring for you. We'll say to you tonight that this gospel is important because of what he does in us. Because he changes our lives, he gives us new desires, new motives. Because the Bible says that within he redeems us, because he redeems us uh, and he cleanses our hearts and he makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus and he calls into his family. And the Bible says here, he writes her, he records her names in the Lamb's Book of Life. And not only that, but the wonderful thing is, he gives an assurance that no matter what happens in this world, it all is with it for the next world. That's the gospel that he, this work he knows in us. He changes us and he gives us new motives, new desires, new longings. man comes to me and tells me that, well, I, 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 I'm a Christian, but I just live the way I've always lived. The metal lady, we have a place called Red Rock. Any farmers here, you'll know what Red you not maybe know the town land of Red Rock, but you know what comes out of Red Rock and it's farm machinery, story tankers, and so forth. Robin Door doing some meetings up there one time and met this wee lady and she says to me, she says, I used to be one of your sort. Well, sure, that could mean anything today. Absolutely anything could mean what. She never told me to tell you he's born in your sort, it could mean anything. Sure, the generation we're living, she could have been born a bloke and turned a woman. Do you know, I tell you, for all you know, you haven't a clue what people mean when they say I'm one of your sort. I says, explain what do you mean, you're one of my sort. She says, I used to be one of you Christian Bible believing people. I says, is that right? She says, it was. I says, could you answer me one simple question? She says, I could. I says, tell me, are you happy? She said, I've never been happier. I said, you were never one of our sort. Never one of our sort. 
Oh, my name's that's a bit hard. That's a bit hard now. Isn't it hard, folks? Jesus says, by the fruit you'll know them. You can't pick, you can't pick apples from a plum tree. And you can't pick potatoes from a pear tree. But man has been born of the Spirit, and dare I say, and let's be honest, there's not one of us, the preacher nor the listener, or any man who has professed faith in Christ Jesus and said there hasn't been time when we have slipped and fallen. There hasn't been time when we have made a mess of ourselves and made a mess of even this gospel that we represent. And there's days when we've hung our heads in shame. And so I don't want to betray a fact tonight that because we become Christians, things that although this work God does, it does not, it doesn't that mean to mean that we are perfect people. We are far from perfect people. No one paint a picture and say, "Oh, this is a this is plain sail. This is a life of ease and oh, oh you, know, you mean you're not face any more difficulties?" Like it's of nonsense. But the one assurance that we have as the people of God is this: that He is with us. We see, whenever a man comes to Christ and he drifts away, as an old Baptist pastor who came from down around Bournemouth, and, and uh, Francis Dixon was his name, and Francis Dixon tells the story, he said that the backslider is the most miserable man or woman in all the world. The most miserable. Even far more miserable than those that are outside of Christ. Because they know no different than some. But those that are in Christ, those that are backsliders, and are the most miserable because they're they're stuck in between two words. They know that salvation is full of joy, but they're not willing to repent and return to that. But they also know that the world has nothing really to offer, so they know there's no there's no real satisfaction back in the world. And so they, they tarry in this no man's land where they're lost between one of two words. And they remain in that miserable condition. Maybe tonight as you sit in the Grange Baptist in your heart of hearts, you know that you find yourself in a backslidden condition. And the Father will say to you, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. And remember, when the prodigal returned, this is the thing that I find brings great joy to our heart. Whenever the son returned to the father in the story of the prodigal son, the father was not standing with a massive big bit of blue pipe ready to wheel the life out of him. Nor then was he standing with a, with a sense of judgmental spirit. Well, remember, he, he got a third. He didn't get a half, he got a third because the older brother would have got two thirds according to biblical times. That's the way the, the father's ground where the father's material wealth was split up. The older son got two thirds, the youngest son got a third. So bear in mind, he has squandered the one, one third of his father's substance. And yet in that story you don't ever even hear the father talking about material things. Material things do not matter. We leave them all behind. All that that father cared for, that his son that was lost is now found. Was dead, was now alive. Was gone, but now has come home. That's all that mattered to him. The spiritual well-being of his son. That his son was back underneath his roof and then underneath his care. That's all that mattered to him. Saying of a spiritual man. I'm telling you something, dear friend. If you're tonight find yourself in a backslidden condition, you have a heavenly father who's not interested in material things. He blesses us with material things, and we are we are being benefited beyond what we have ever deserved with material things. 
But material things we all leave behind. His concern is for our spiritual well-being. I'm going to say to you very simply because I'm conscious for some of you young people you might want to be shooting out the road to that meeting. But it's not that far down the road I passed this. So I know you have a wide distance to go now. Uh, but I want to say to you, thirdly, this gospel is important for Paul was because of what Christ does through us. Because we might be ordinary people, but God wants to work through our lives. Victor Maxwell, who's a Baptist pastor, I'm sure many of you know him well. If he hasn't spoken here, it would be a very strange thing. He's spoken in most Baptist churches. But Victor Maxwell makes a statement with someone he heard telling the story. Uh, and he, he relates it that somebody else had made it up. He said, some people have grey hair, some people have no hair, and some people are wearing somebody else's hair. <laughs> He says, every one of us has a purpose that God is a use for our lives. Every one of us is a use for our lives. And that is the reality, right, folks. God is a use for your life. God is a use for your life. Who do you think by any means that just because you're old now or you're grey or you're bald, dare I say, whatever those might be, be imitation, whenever God comes to us and redeems us and saves us, thank God he wants to use us for his glory and for his honour. Tonight, if you're outside of Christ, he wants to not only change your life, come into your life and change your life, but he wants to work through your life and make you a channel of blessing. That will only happen now, my dear friend, if you all become. I was reading one day there, and I come across a quotation my man called Steve Lawson, with this I finish. He said, salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but it is a gift for the guilty. It's not a reward for the righteous, it was a gift for the guilty. Now you're here in the Grange and you're not a Christian, and you have not come to Christ, I want to tell you, salvation, if you're guilty, is a gift for you. And like all gifts, you must receive. And if you don't receive it, you can never be a partaker of it. By the only way you can take it is in simple faith. And say, oh God, here I am, a sinner, under your wrath and condemned. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I call on your Son for mercy. Save me, Lord, for I am lost. And thank God the Bible says that whosoever, no matter their age, no matter their background, no matter their intellectual ability, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall receive.